Welcome to The Partial Historians. We explore all the details of ancient Rome. Everything from the political scandals, the love affairs, the battles waged, and when citizens turn against each other. I'm Dr. Rad. And I'm Dr. G. We consider Rome as the Romans saw it, by reading different authors from the ancient past and comparing their stories. Join us as we trace the journey of Rome from the founding of the city. Welcome to a brand new episode of The Partial Historians, where we trace the history of Rome from the founding of the city. I am one of your hosts, Dr. Rad. And I am Dr. G, and we are in the thrilling year of 445. Yeah, this is a big year. We've had a few meh years since 449, the, the year that never ended, as we were talking about the 2nd December and the 12 tables and the 2nd secession and all that stuff is going on. Now we've come to another bumper year, and it's a really big year because there's lots of conflict going on, Dr. G. There's lots of conflict, and how this conflict gets resolved is fascinating. So we're in the consulship of Marcus Ganucius and Gaius Curtius Chilo, or Chilo, and so far we've had a bit of a situation where the Tribune of the Plebs have come out and they've started to demand some pretty rigorous changes. Mm. They want uh, a marriage law changed and they would also like to have half the consulship, please. Yes, very and much about plebeian rights because the, the marriage law they want changed is the 2nd Decemvirate and the 12 Tables had added this ban on marriage between patricians and plebeians, seemingly part of this process that as patricians were sort of clawing more status and more power inside of Rome for themselves. And a way of doing that is obviously to make themselves like very special in terms of their bloodline. <laughs> yeah. Ugh. Yeah. And, and of course the consulship, duh, it's like the most prestigious obviously you can hold. Yeah. And so, and the, the plebeians now want half. They're like, we want one consul out of the two to be plebeian. Well, this throws the Senate and the current consuls into a bit of a tailspin. Yeah. And while they're trying to cope with the, their feelings about that, it turns out that just about everywhere around Rome is exploding with conflict. Yes. And it's coming for Rome. Yes. So we've got the Etruscans from Vey coming down. We've got people from Ardea being annoyed about, about the way that their territory has just been claimed by Rome the previous year. Yeah. We've got the Aquians and the Volsci also quite irritated. And so Rome is facing war on just about every front it can imagine, while at the same time facing this internal conflict with the Tribune of the Plebs refusing to allow the levy of the army to happen mm. until they get some, at least some preliminary decrees passed that are going to improve the lot of the plebeians over time. So without further ado, Dr. G, let's see how this whole situation resolves itself by checking out the rest of 445 BCE.
Right, so I left on quite a tense moment in my account where the consoles have thrown their toys out of the pram and they've said that they would rather die than see plebeians in the consulship. The tribunes have said that they would rather die than not get this law that's going to overturn the marriage ban and demanding half of the consulship through. They're not going to let people enlist in the army. So that's a pretty... I think everybody's going to die. <laughs> yeah, that's not a great situation to be in. What's happening in Dionysius land? Well, in Dionysius of Halicarnassus, the consuls have made the decision that in order to try and figure some of this stuff out, mm. it's probably a good time to have a private meeting with some key patricians. Okay. They're going to sneak off and have a bit of a chat <laughs> all by themselves. Yes. Now, this is... I mean, having a private chat is not a bad thing. People can do that. But this is going to upset some people. Mm. One of the key people who is invited to attend this secret get-together is Gaius Claudius. Oh, my God. <laughs> if I could just get through... I don't know, six months without hearing a Claudian mentioned. <laughs> uh, so Gaius Claudius, famously the uncle of the highly disgraced uh, Appius Claudius of the Decemvirate period. He's uh, one of the guys that introduced this law, apparently. <laughs> well, well, well. Yes. Fancy him being yes. invited to the secret meeting. <laughs> yes. I mean, sorry, Appius Claudius introduced the law, not Gaius Claudius. <laughs> yeah, so Gaius Claudius is here, and the Claudii are famed for being quite arrogant, um, highly traditional uh, patrician. Your vintage patrician, really. <laughs> the, the kind of patrician that we love to hate. Yeah, and his key uh, motivating uh, features in his speech uh, in this private gathering is yield nothing and use violence if necessary. You know what? I could have seen that coming a mile away. No quarter shall be given to those plebeians. Yes. <laughs> They're going to corrupt everything. Yeah. Um, and they'll ruin the ancient form of the government. And people who oppose the ancient form of the government are enemies of the state Ooh. and aliens. Wow. Okay, wait, hang on a second. Hang on a second. Ancient form of the government... Are they forgetting that the Republic is only about 50 years old at this stage? Doesn't matter. Doesn't okay. matter. Okay. Gaius Claudius <laughs> is pretty keen on the idea. And you see this crop up with um, groups that are highly nationalist. Yes. And it's like, if you criticize us and you're not with us, then you're against us and you're our enemy yes. and you're not one of us. Yes. You are an alien to us. Absolutely. So it's like, you can't be part of the in-group unless you agree with exactly everything that we've already done. Yeah, which is a huge problem in today's society as well, because if you don't learn to talk to and compromise with people who are different to you, we are never going to fix the very serious challenges that face our world right now. Yes, well, Gaius Claudius today would be helping nobody. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Um, this meeting continues. Uh, he sits down. He said his piece. Uh, he gets to talk pretty much first because he's one of the oldest guys around. And being a Claudii, I'm sure he would push his case. Oh, totally. And then we have Titus Quintius stand up. Ah, now, is this Capitolinus guy? This is, yeah, Titus Quintius Capitolinus Barbatus. Mm. So when you imagine this guy, you have to imagine he's got a nice beard. Yeah. Um, he gets up. He was the consul of 446. Yes. Um, so he Quite does, successful, yeah. Yeah, does have a right to speak. 
And he's also held the consulship four times. Hugely popular as a consul. Absolutely. And he says that violence is probably not the answer because that would be civil bloodshed. Um, yeah, which... we kind of need the people to fight our numerous enemies. I mean, yeah. remember how we were all panicking a minute ago because we've got three different fronts to deal with? And he's like, we can assume that that's not ideal. Um, if we kill them, <laughs> we how can... can they fight for us? We can assume. <laughs> we can assume that's not going to go. I don't right. know, Dr. G. You know what they say about assumptions. <laughs> never assume, never assume. <laughs> and he's also like, notably... We're always going to be opposed by the tribunes. Yes. Um, you know, they are sacrosanct in many respects, and they swear very serious oaths. Mm. So we have to take all of that into account. We can't just wade in there and do the yield nothing, use violence if, if necessary, claudii yeah. sort of approach. That's not going to work here. It's not going to get us what we want. This is why this guy is popular, because whilst he is... Completely patrician through and through. At least he's smart. Yeah. He's not an idiot and he's not so hardline that, yeah, violence is the main thing that he's going to suggest. But wait for it. Mm. Then Claudius is like, okay, look, I take your point. Uh, which is pretty big of him, to be honest, because he usually doesn't take anybody's No. <laughs> maybe, maybe the fact that, you know, Appius was, you know, murdered or died by suicide is... Dampened his enthusiasm I mean, a little somebody bit. Somebody trying to temper himself. Now. Yeah, exactly. And it's a private meeting, so he feels like he can speak openly. And That's he's like, true. I'm not unaware of the great calamities that we face. <laughs> Good. <laughs> Just to put it out there. Yeah. And I think it's important that every man should be able to say his piece about what he thinks will be to, a, to the advantage of the state. Yeah. Um, and then we'll have the decision made by the majority. Now, that's weird. They're in a private meeting of select patricians yeah. and consuls. It's clearly like a secret meeting. <laughs> it's a secret meeting. Yeah. And he's like, well, as long as we all agree and the majority comes to a decision, that's fine. Is he, does he mean the Senate? Does he mean, like, the wider Senate? Or it's is... not at all clear. Because surely he doesn't mean the people. No. 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 Okay. He means patricians. Yeah. Um, and he then goes on to say, look, only the patricians are alone are qualified by both law and ritual practice to hold the consulship. Ah, see? So, okay, so Dionysius has essentially put the words that are in Livy as like a general comment from the patricians about their special position in society into the mouth of someone specific. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Who's uh, horrifying. Yeah. Who, who, which, who it matches the reputation of his family. <laughs> and further to this, he's like, what about if we propose an alternative uh-huh. I'm listening, I'm listening. Here we are. What if, instead of the two consuls, we appoint six military tribunes with consular power? Ah, see, you're, you're, you're jumping ahead of me, Dr. Ooh. G. Yeah, okay, yeah. What if only three of them could be patrician and the other three could be plebeian? I don't for one hot second believe that a Claudian <laughs> suggests this. I'm sorry. But you but then wait for the rationale. Okay, okay. The beauty of this is that we offer them consular power uh-huh. without debasing the consular position. How is that not debasing? Is, is it because, because instead of invo- in, instead of voting in in the next year, instead of voting in two consuls, yeah. it's like let's vote in six 
military tribunes with consular power. Right, I get what you mean, because the title is different. The okay. title yeah, is yeah, different. Yeah, yeah. And some stuff about that is going to be very specific and, and interesting and different as well. Yeah. So that's the teaser I'll probably... I'll stop there okay. and see what Livy has to say. Well, see, this is where the differences in our account make it a little tricky to tell a cohesive story. Because as we talked about last episode, Livy does talk about these sorts of issues. And I will get to where you're up to, but he's also very concerned about the intermarriage. <laughs> <laughs> but wait up, guys. What about the intermarriage law? <laughs> yeah, which, look, it makes sense because everything that they're using as an argument for opposing plebeians in the consulship, all that idea about you know, purity and prestige of the patrician class, if you want to call them that, it's very much what they're worried about with intermarriage as well. So prepare yourself, Dr. G. There is a beanbag in this room. Because will I, will I have to put my face into it? <laughs> no, I actually think you might have to fall into it. Oh, faint. <laughs> because Livy has a long speech. <gasps> yeah. Oh, I'm excited now. Yeah, Livy with so, a long speech. This is unprecedented. I know. It's really long. Okay, but I think it's important because Livy doesn't often have these sorts of speeches. So it's also put in the mouth of the Tribune of the Plebs. The one who had apparently proposed the bill to overturn the marriage ban and to put plebeians into the consulship, Canulius. So he addresses the people at this very tense moment where, you know, neither side seems like they're going to give in, you know, life or death. They're just like, no, we're not going to do this. So he starts talking to the people and says, look, the patricians clearly hate plebeians. I mean, why else would they make our lives so difficult? Now, look. Maybe the majority of Roman people don't have the same amount of money that the patricians have. But at the end of the day, we're Romans too. We live here too. This is our town too. <laughs> yeah. All we're requesting, first and foremost, is the right of intermarriage, which he interestingly notes, people who aren't from Rome could be granted. So, what? Yeah, enemies that Rome had defeated, they were allowed to marry patricians. Gross. <laughs> <laughs> what about the bloodlines? Yeah, but this is what he's pointing out. If patricians are able to marry people who aren't Roman, who are even defeated enemies, then why on earth shouldn't the plebeians have that same right? Why are the consuls and the patricians and the senators all getting so upset? Why are they even making threats against the, against the sacrosanctity of the Tribune, which has only just been restored in the aftermath of the 2nd December and the 2nd Secession and the 12 Tables and all of that? You know, why, why are they fighting this so hard? Ah. And, oh, oh I'm not anywhere near done. <laughs> I'm not anywhere near done. <laughs> Cornelius wonders if the plebeians have actually realised just how little respect the patricians really have. <laughs> I'm pretty sure they've realised. <laughs> Time for reality check. <laughs> I'm going to be brutal. I'm going to be brutal. So he's pointing out that the way that they've responded to this request about the consulship, it's almost as though they've asked to put a slave or a freedman in command of the state. So disgusted are the patricians. And so he's like, do you get that that's like insulting? Like they called you a mudblood, essentially. <laughs> You know, like, do you, do you get that? Because if you don't, I'm here to bring reality to you. 
So the patricians, he claims, their goal in life is to take everything from the plebeians. He even, and this is just hilarious, they would take the sunshine away if they could. Oh, <laughs> I know. that's quite poetic. I know. So patricians essentially, as far as Cornelius is concerned, resent the existence of the plebeians. They resent them, the oxygen they breathe. They resent their right of speech. They resent the fact that they look the same as patricians. We can't tell them apart. It's terrible. Exactly. Yeah, it's all terrible and they just hate them through and through. And this is where he starts going into some interesting backstory as well. He starts talking about the fact that the plebeians, if they're not allowed to do things like consult the fasti or the commentaries of the pontiffs, then that knowledge is being held from them. And again, apparently, knowledge that even foreigners could potentially access more easily than plebeians. I have some pretty big questions for Livy at this point. I feel like it's very unlikely that they're going to allow foreigners to rock up and have a look at the sacred texts that relate to the pontifices and then just go away again. Well, this, this is exactly it. I mean, who knows if maybe they're talking about, like, during particular ceremonies. Or, I don't know. But, yeah, it's interesting that he makes that, that comment. Maybe Cornelius is getting a little, you know, carried away here. But, anyway. Unless we're talking about the Etruscans, who well, probably is... have a right to have a look at those books because they were part of them being written. Yeah, and they're also better at interpreting yeah. science, apparently. So, yeah, that's what I mean. Like, who knows... Who knows who the who's being invited in to you know have a peek at <laughs> foreign dignitaries and, and what? Oi, oi, want to check out my secret text? <laughs> and this is where he starts going all the way back to the regal period. So he's really digging deep here. He's pointing out something that we noted when we covered this time period. Roman kings could come from anywhere. In fact, they generally weren't patrician. Some academics, and this, this, is, this is not Cornelius, this is me saying it. Some academics have even suggested that one of the, uh, uh, I don't know what to say, one of the categories for being king was not to be a patrician. Ah. You know, that, that they actually had to come from outside the patriciate. So, mm. yeah, that, that's even been suggested. But certainly, we know that... I don't know how you would sustain that as a theory. No, I'm just saying, like, it's been theorised. And so, yeah, I agree with him. Certainly, we know a lot of the kings were not Roman. Mm. You know, so, you know, Numa came from Sabine territory. And therefore, a lot of them also weren't patricians. And, you know, Servius Tullius apparently was, you know, from a defeated enemy yeah, slash slave background. This is... Let's just be logical for a moment, Canulius. Um... The trouble with this kind of argument mm. is that Rome emerges as a state that is cobbled together from the surrounding areas. That's the story it tells about itself. Of course the kings aren't patricians, because the patriciate is created in the regal period by the kings. And those kings have to come from somewhere, and they can't come from Rome, because Rome isn't a thing. Ah, but he also <laughs> points out that the Claudians themselves weren't Roman. They're not. They came, and they know that. Yeah, but they came about after, you know, after the patriciate apparently would have started to be created. If we accept that Romulus started the patriciate, which is, okay, dubious because <laughs> who even knows if Romulus existed, but let's say for argument's sake that the patriciate did have its origins under Romulus, the Claudians don't come along under Romulus. No. They're a Sabine family that come along later. And his, his point is that if people can be incorporated 
and recognised for their excellence and become patricians. What about the people that live here? Yeah, then this is ridiculous. Like, we surely we should just be prioritising excellence. You know, look at the, you know, look at Lucius Taquinius Priscus. You know, look at these people who were recognised for being excellent and ruled Rome and nothing disastrous happened when you had an outsider ruling Rome. That's his point, I suppose. I, I get where you're coming from, but that's his major point, I suppose. Um, and so, yeah, he, he cites all these previous kings as, you know, fantastic examples. So, clearly, <laughs> they must have plebeians in power, because otherwise you're going to get people like the Second Decemvirate coming back again. Like, it's just inevitable that there are going to be terrible people coming to power again. You need to have a, a check on that, I think. Okay? And he also points out that, okay, so let's say that this is the situation we've got right now. Are we to argue that Rome never changes, never adapts? Is Rome just going to stay exactly how it is right at this moment and never alter anything? Like, that's not, that's not good government. <laughs> that's I mean, just bad policy. Yeah, he says, he points out all the, all the things that have made Rome better. So Numa introduced pontiffs and Servius, Tullius the king, he introduced the census apparently and reorganised Rome and that made Rome better. Gradually in the Republic, dictators were introduced. You had the addition of plebeian tribunes. I mean, that's not an argument that's going to convince any patricians, but he thinks that that's a good addition. You also had aediles and quaestors. All these additional officers were introduced. And you had the decemvirs. They came in. They were terrible. They're gone. Rome changes. Rome changes. And you know what? It's generally something that is for the better. The patricians in the background. No! <laughs> exactly. We will never change. Never, never, never. Unless it benefits us, in which case we're all for it. <laughs> yeah, so he's talking about the fact that it's such an insult that there are, that this idea that the patrician blood would somehow be polluted, especially considering that a lot of them come from places like Alba and Sabine Territory, whereas a lot of the plebeians, allegedly, are born and bred, my friend, born and bred in Rome. Not everybody can say that they are, you know, totally natives. And he's like, can't they just maintain their status and their purity and all that kind of stuff? And, you know, can't they be intermarriage? Like, is that is that really so inconceivable that... Yes! <laughs> say the Patricians. inconceivable, <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, and so he says, you know, why not... Why not just take it further? Why not introduce a law where you ban marriage between rich and poor? I mean, essentially, that's always been the way it's worked, hasn't it? It's not like rich guys are marrying poor chicks and vice versa. Why not take it even further? Why not ban patricians from even living near a plebeian? Or even ban them from walking down the same road? I find this fascinating because this is so similar to like segregation in say, you know, America or, or Australia in terms of what happened with uh, African-Americans and indigenous Australians. It is like disturbing that what he's essentially saying is this is the beginning of segregation. Yeah. Yeah. This is what is, this yeah, is, yeah. This is the logical conclusion of the thing that the patricians are arguing for. Yeah. This absolutely. is the start and this is where it's going to end. Yeah. Okay, I'm going to wrap up now, so be relieved. <laughs> he points out that, to finish, we need to think about this. We kicked out the kinks, and apparently the point of that was that all Romans would have equal liberty. That was the point of establishing the Republic, allegedly. <laughs> now, 
the patricians have assumed so much power. I mean, is there equality? Is there liberty in Rome? Or are the patricians calling all the shots? Are the Roman people in command of this state? No! I don't think so. <laughs> I don't think so. Shouldn't the Roman people be allowed to introduce laws? Isn't that the whole point of what just happened a few years ago? Okay, isn't that what we decided? That, you know, plebeian decisions were going to be binding on everybody? Or should the patricians be able to bring in a levy in retaliation every time they propose a piece of law? And now, we don't we don't think that that's necessarily what they were doing right now. I think there is legitimately some military problems on the horizon, but they have done it in the past. They certainly have, yes. yes. I can I can understand. What so, a rousing speech. Oh, I'm not doing it. Oh, he's not. <laughs> <laughs> I'm still I, I apologise. I'm still wrapping up. I'm still wrapping up. So, the patricians have already shown that when the plebeians unite, like during the times of the secession, so the first secession in 494, second secession in 449, the patricians have shown that they have they haven't got a leg to stand on. And this is where I'm going to take a slight side note. <laughs> We've talked about the secessions before in the sense that they are really interesting because even though the plebeians surely must vastly outnumber the patricians, even though the patriciate, okay, it might be a significant number of people considering the population of Rome at this time, although it's all highly speculative <laughs> because we don't know how many people are living in Rome at this time, surely the plebeians outnumber them because that's the whole point of being part of an elite, okay? You're part of a minority. And yet, they've never resorted to armed struggle. Like, they've gotten close, but generally they just kind of opt out and do their own thing. You know, it's really, it is really interesting. So, by this point in time, the plebeians really are kind of developing this interesting sort of parallel culture. Some people have even dubbed them as being like a state within the state. Because by this stage, they've actually set up their own archive system where they actually start like depositing rec their own records, which is something that the patrician, well, something that will be incorporated into the Roman state as a whole. You know, like some of the, a lot of their ideas and their innovations will eventually be worked into the Roman system. So it is kind of interesting that they have developed this, you know, this idea. And it is interesting that once again, they're talking about the fact that we just need to stand up and oppose them. We don't necessarily even need to fight them. We just need to stand united. The plebeians are, of course, prepared to fight in this war which faces them on numerous fronts. But Cornelius is determined that they're only going to get it if they get those two things. The ban being overturned and access to the government via the consulship. If they get their demands, <laughs> they can as many wars as they want. They wars coming up the hoo-ha. And if not, nobody is going to enlist because, quite frankly, why should they? They are being treated like dirt. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> thank you, thank you. I wrote it myself. Wrote it myself. Wrote it myself. <laughs> Alright, so now, I assume that the plebeians are going to react well to this speech. I actually don't have much of a reaction from the plebeians because we go straight into the reaction of one of the consuls. Oh no! Yeah. <laughs> okay, so Cornelius then turns around and asks the consuls, so tell me, why? Why you got to be so mean? <laughs> okay. Why would you say all of those things yeah. in public? Really hurt my feelings, yeah. <laughs> Curtius responded that once again, We've got to go back to this idea of the auspices. 
And he uses a word that I really love, and again, it seems very Harry Potter to me. The auspices would be confounded <laughs> before being tried to undertake them. It has to be a patrician. This just feels like a really furfy argument from Libby, I have to say. There is... Is it from Libby or is it from the horrible patricians? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's coming through in Libby. I get no hint of it at all in Dionysus of Halconassus. <laughs> well, that's clearly because I have this period. <laughs> Libby admits, funnily enough, he makes a little note that Curtis probably should have read the room, but that wasn't really probably the best moment to bring that up, which I love, because of course the plebeians are absolutely furious that that's the response after that huge speech that Cornelius has gone but through. But what about the auspices? Yeah, exactly. He's, the the plebeians are outraged because they're like, okay, so not only do you think that we are the scum between your toes, but now you're also suggesting that the gods despise us. <laughs> That we can't possibly... <laughs> Screw you, buddy. Yeah. And screw all of your friends. <laughs> yeah. The Bobbians and Tribunes are therefore locked into their position. They are incredibly determined. You know, they've been insulted too many times. The Patricians give in. Wow, just like that. What? Just like that. What? <laughs> yeah. They allow the ban on intermarriage to be overturned. Mm. On the understanding that they're hoping that the whole thing about the consulship will just be forgotten about. <laughs> so what, they just don't say anything about that? Well, no, they just like, okay, we agree, intermarriage should be allowed. And just, we'll just, we'll think about the other thing later. We've got to deal with the war. And now for the lobby! Yes. Now, of course, the plebeians have only just gained a massive confidence boost. And they're like, wait a minute. Yeah, so, so if you've agreed to number one, what about your agreement to number two? Yeah. <laughs> you mean we just have to give a really long speech? Well, Livy could have done that a long time ago. <laughs> Come on, Livy. Yeah. So they are totally, they've totally got an energy boost from this overturning of the marriage ban. And they thought, well, you know, I think, I think we can maybe, I think we can maybe hold out, you know, I think maybe we can, we can keep fighting, we can keep pushing for the consulship. You know, let's, let's see <laughs> how we jumped off this. one cliff, maybe we'll jump off the other. Yeah. And the consuls aren't able to get anything through the Senate at this point in time because allegedly the tribunes are prepared to use their veto. Now, ah. you, you and I have flagged this before ah. as being problematic. being problematic because, to be honest, as we've, as we've highlighted, the way that the struggle of the orders is laid out is super problematic in terms of when they get certain rights. The whole position of the Tribune, it's hard to figure out what they actually would have had in terms of their powers at this point in time, mm, as yeah. opposed to what Livy assumes they had, or the analysts who, who Livy is basing his account on. Yeah. I think they're probably assuming that the Tribunes have... The power, more power. Veto. Yeah, more power than they probably have. But yeah. nonetheless, this is why they turn to a private meeting with the consuls <laughs> and other leading men in the state. Aha! Our narratives, they begin to parallel. Exactly, <laughs> I told you we'd get there eventually. And so in the private meeting, they start talking about the fact that, look, we're either going to have a civil war on our hands or we're going to be conquered by the numerous enemies that are at our gates right now. And the interesting thing to note here is that all ex-consuls seem to be involved in this meeting, except for Valerius and Horatius. Oh, yes. This will come up in Dionysius as well. Yes. Um. And so Valerius and Horatius, just to remind you guys, these were these guys are patrician through and through. 
but they were patricians that could see that the second decemvirate were tyrants and that the power that they held and the position that they held in the state was problematic and they also could see as you pointed out the common sense of not wanting the plebeians to secede from the state of Rome and go and live elsewhere and start their own band. <laughs> yeah, these are the two guys that go out when they when the plebeians do secede and go and have a chat to them and like, guys, look, we know it's not okay and we're going to do our best. Let us lead you. Yeah. And so they come across as moderate patricians. Yeah. And they also introduced laws after the 2nd December and the 2nd Secession to sort of restore things. Like, so they restored the Tribunate, they restored certain rights to the plebs and the Tribunes. And so, yeah, they're, they're seen as being kind of... Class- of course they're not invited to the secret meeting. Yeah, they're seen as being <laughs> class traitors. And, and so interesting. It's, Rome seems to be just, like, so segregated right now. But anyway, and that's where I come into the whole thing with guys Claudius and also... Capitolinus having their discussions exactly as you said, you know, one of them suggesting, let's just fight, let's just kill them all. <laughs> and the other one saying, maybe not. Maybe not, civil bloodshed, maybe yeah, not. Yeah, exactly. Uh, and that is where we get the introduction of this new position, military tribunes with consular authority, which will be made up of patricians and plebeians, but the consulship, of course, will remain unchanged in terms of like who's allowed to hold that so that it won't be corrupted and this decision very much appeases the tribunes and the plebs in my account how do they feel in your account <laughs> oh okay so this is just the first in, oh okay in, in a moment of grand deception as right. it were so they have this secret meeting where claudius Gaius Claudius, of all people, is the one who makes this uh, sort of suggestion that we have these military tribunes mm. with consular power. Mm. Now, listeners, if you're hearing this and you're like, but what does that even mean? Yeah. Uh, fair enough. Uh, what this means is when they organize uh, the Roman army, so when they do a levy, mm. part of what happens is they make a selection within the people that have been levied that some will be military tribunes. Yes. Now, the numbers for this vary, and we're not sure. It depends on the time period. Our records are scattered at best, but there's usually between three to six military tribunes per legion. Yeah. So they're kind of like an organisational structure. Yeah. Now, and you, can, you can be patrician, or yeah. you can be plebeian. Yes. And you could be a military tribune. Yeah. It, it just depends on how the levy happens. And there seems to be a selection process, but whoever is fighting within that legion, some of those people will end up being military tribunes with some degree of responsibility to report back to the generals, yeah. uh, who would be the consuls at this point, and then to like sort of distribute uh, the sort of orders as they come down. Yeah, and certainly, exactly as you just flagged right there, it's also important to note that the consulship really was not just a political position at this point in time. It definitely it's is. It's a military it's position. It's a military position. Yeah, yeah absolutely. You can't, you can't split these things apart in Rome at this yeah. point in time. Yeah, yeah the consulship is military, uh, political, and ritual in nature. Yes. And most magistracies end up having a sort of a sacred aspect to them mm. in the way that they're performed. Um, and it's no different for the consulship. And so, but the military tribune is kind of just like a functional leadership position Mm. within a legion. So they don't necessarily have any sort of ritual ties. um, And it can be held by anybody. Usually an experienced soldier at a certain point might go on to be a military tribune. Mm. So they take this concept that they've already got embedded 
And they're like, well, what if mm. we take that idea and we expand it out and we give them uh, consular power? So this is in the political sense to a certain degree, but yes. mostly in the military sense. Yes. Uh, and probably not a lot on the ritual side. Yeah. So it's this ability to sort of be a leader, make decisions for the cohorts that you're looking after. And by placing them as the top magistracy mm. in, in place of the consulship. So you wouldn't have consuls and military tribunes with consular power. You either have one or the other. They're sort of allowing consular power to be distributed down the line a little bit yeah. amongst a greater number of people. And this is really interesting because if we think about how academics have interpreted what is going on in this period... Certainly the suggestions has been that this this time period around 44, 445 is really important for Rome in that it almost seems like Rome is actually just restructuring. And that, it might be about to collapse. Yeah, it seems like there are new challenges potentially facing Rome, um, possibly because they have made a name for themselves in the area, made some enemies, and it's not going down well. But for whatever reason there does seem to be a need underlying this decision, which might not be actually anything to do with the struggle of the orders. Yes. So, and, yeah. And this, this is what's interesting, because we, like, our, our sources play it up as being very much about a patrician versus plebeian thing, but it actually might just be, Rams and Trevor, send help! <laughs> it might just be a practical decision to deal with the threat that they currently face. Yes. They have enemies on all sides at this point. It is a problem. They do need some solutions. And if they only have two consuls, they technically can only divide up their forces in two different directions. Yeah, and, and at the same time, in 446, quaestors were brought in, uh, which is, it's not something uh, brand new exactly, but the way that they were sort of brought back, um, you know, for, for the needs of the state, apparently, that they haven't been around for a while. And also, just looking ahead a little bit, in 443, we're going to see the resurrection of the censorship. So it does seem like there's a whole bunch of officers that are being either, like, resurrected, rebranded, yeah, all this restructuring is going on around this period. So it is a really crucial period for Rome. Yeah, and I think we can see this as part of the broader sense in the way that the consequences of the December are playing out as well, because that is also a structure yes. that is about instability. Yeah. And we're seeing that instability continue. It seemed like they'd sort of swept it aside a little bit, but it seems like they haven't gotten out of this. And now things have come to a head again, and they've had to come up with a new way to navigate themselves through a difficult period. And so this military tribunate, with the consular power yeah. is going to be this new group. This is their new idea to solve a problem yeah. that they're currently facing, which seems to be mostly a military thing. Mm. Um, so we'll see how that pans out for them. But anyway, we've got these alongside those sort of considerations is the kind of literary narrative, which is really portraying this as about the class struggle. So Claudius comes out of this, a suggestion that they have this new position yeah and that's exciting but then he says let's go in with a plan we're going to need to sell this to the people mm. first we need to pass the preliminary decree in the senate then we need to give the floor to anybody who wants to speak but let's decide who's going to speak here i'm not going to start <laughs> Neither is Quintius, my my good friend Quintius, who suggested that civil bloodshed might be a little bit disastrous. Let's, why don't we start with 
Lucius Valerius, and immediately after him, friend of the populace, Horatius. So what? We're going to allow those two to speak first. They haven't been invited to this meeting at all. They're just <laughs> we're going to use them and abuse them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, and they'll have. They can say whatever they want. Whatever. Wow. And then I'll come up and speak. And I'll do my usual speech about, you know, where I'm a traditional patrician and this is what I want, etc., etc. And then, then we'll get Titus Ganucius, the consul's brother. So we're in the year, what, 445? Yeah. Marcus Ganucius is the consul. We'll get his brother Titus to stand up and he'll propose the measure about the military tribunes with consular power. Oh, we'll get him God. to do it. This is so orchestrated. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, we'll get, we'll get uh, Marcus Ganucius to be like, look, I think my brother wants to speak. Let's get him up here. And that's how we're going to play this. Because by the time we get through those two moderate patricians having their say um, and sort of trying to get people to, to do what they need to do in the nicest way possible, me being an asshole they'll definitely buy it coming from Ganucius. Wow. <laughs> this is crazy. This, this is so different to what I have. <laughs> this secret meeting is full of plans. Yeah, yeah. Now, the tribunes, rightly, are highly suspicious of this secret patrician meeting with the consuls. Of course. And so they're like, we need to have a strategy as well. So they get together with their allies, and they're like, well, let's have our own private meeting, shall we? <laughs> and they start out by like, Okay, so whatever they do, we just have to we just have to say no, basically. That's kind of their <laughs> just plan. Just say no. <laughs> yeah, like what could they possibly be doing? We'll just have to say no. So we move into the execution of Gaius Claudius's plan. Right, okay. And the they have the preliminary decree meeting, and then we have Cornelius. Gaius Cornelius, tribune of the plebs, finally comes forward and he's like, I wonder though about this secret meeting that's been had. And why weren't Valerius and Horatius invited? You know, It's a fair question. Because <laughs> these are the patricians that are most uh, willing to, to side with the plebeians. Yeah, okay, and so, I, I, you and I know why. I think everybody knows why. <laughs> but please note that Gaius Claudius's master plan has already taken that into account. Yeah. And so... They take Cornelius's speech where he's like, look, it's not okay for those two who are so great and lauded in their positions to have been left out of whatever secret meeting you've been having. Wow. It's not okay. And I guess they've been left out because you're trying to screw us over. And then they have the beautiful moment where the patricians are like, oh, oh, you well, why don't we let them speak first? Wow. How manipulative. <laughs> now, Valerius and Horatius haven't been let into this secret, no. like, so conservative just, patrician plan. Yeah, they're just speaking off the cuff. So yeah. they speak off the cuff, yeah. yeah. And they try to do what is what seems most appropriate. Apparently, Valerius makes a long speech, but Dionysius of Halicarnassus thankfully doesn't give it to us. Um, <laughs> he just tells us that there's a long speech. And he kind of hopes that we'll be able to move forward and we'll be able to work together as a state and, you know, we're only as equal as we act. So, you know, we all have to act together. And right. that's I knew he said something awesome. <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, and having a law that gives a share of the consulship to all Romans, those who have lived irreproachable lives and performed actions worthy of honour, they deserve this. 
but he also winds up by saying, but you know what's important here? is that we have war on all fronts that we're facing. Mm. So we should probably leave the decision about this until after the war. What? <laughs> well, I'm not supposed to have a living on It's pretty... I mean, yeah. So he does a lot of sort of nice sort of like, look, plebeians, I'm with you. Yeah. You deserve this. Yeah. But just... Can we just press pause? Can we just... Yeah. And it's me. It's coming from me. Yeah. The moderate Patricia. Exactly. Yes. <laughs> and so... And then Herodias gets up and he's like, look, Valerius is being very wise here. Mm. You know, of course it's true that you deserve this. Yes. And we should definitely look into it. But please, please, please. <laughs> just go and fight. Just go and fight. Yeah. Just, just this once. It's going to be important that we do this. This proposal is agreed to by everybody, but everyone is angry about it. So we have this moment where Dionysius lets us know that because it's postponed, the right. plebeians are like, okay, you've convinced us that we need to postpone it, but I'm pretty angry about having to do that. Not only that, the patricians, the conservative patricians, are angry about this because basically these two, Valerius and Horatius, have said, we'll make it so after the war. Yeah. <laughs> I, I don't think they were counting on that. So they're like, well, we're agreeing because it means that we'll go to the war, which we really need to do right now, but... Oh, I'm pissed <laughs> off about that. <laughs> now I'm going to have to deal with this thing all over again after the war. Yeah. Uh, so I won't have that card to play. I won't have the war to <laughs> press the issue. Yeah. yeah. So basically these two managed to enrage everybody in, into agreeing with them, but being frustrated about it at the same Poor time. Poor and Horatius. Gaius Claudius steps out to do his prepared speech. Of being a douchebag. <laughs> it's a part I've played many times. <laughs> well, 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 plebeians. Fancy seeing the smell of shit in front of me once again. Yeah. He suggests that the law should be refused altogether. He's yeah. like, that's a dumb plan. We should go to that war and we should not do that thing afterwards. <laughs> you know why? Because it's the right patrician thing to do. Yeah. And no one will be able to tell me otherwise. Thank you very much. That's guys, Claudius. <laughs> you can find me in my villa. <laughs> Which like, one, though? Which one? <laughs> Which one. So, that's annoying. So, Gaius Claudius's speech is met with outrage. Of course, yeah. As, as planned, though. As planned. as planned. Yeah. Opening the way for who else but Titus Ganucius. We're like, guys, there's a third way. And people are like, what? <laughs> it's not just war and no, no uh, sort of reward in return for just yeah. fighting all the time. There's there's a third way, and he's like, yes, yes, <laughs> think about it. The what middle we way. could do. <laughs> the middle way. We could have, wait for it, because nobody's ever suggested this before, military tribunes <laughs> with consular power. <laughs> and people are like, the what now? The who do what? <laughs> and everybody loves it. Even the tribunes are kind of like, well, that's not a half bad idea, actually. Okay, so this is where our narratives are syncing up again. Okay, good, 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 good. Not a half about an idea. Yeah. I, and the people love it. Of course. They're yeah. like, oh my god. <laughs> We're going to get a share in power? Unheard of. But this might also be the cliffhanger moment. Okay. To wind up this episode. 
All right. Well, because I feel you... like if I go further now. Yep. Fair enough. Fair enough. Look, we can we can leave it there. So we're wrapping up on this cliffhanger moment where we're on the brink of potentially introducing a shared plebeian patrician system of ruling Rome. Mm-hmm. We have to see how this is obviously going to play out in practice, but. If we strip it back and put our academic hats on, I think we can both agree this probably isn't really anything to do with the struggle of the orders. And actually what's going on is, based on the archaeology, based on what we can see happening throughout this entire decade, so going all the way from the December all the way through the 440s, I think we can see that Rome is in absolute crisis you know, there's obviously economic issues, there's obviously military and political issues going on. Rome is in real trouble, and this is a restructuring of the state, I think, of some of some sort. There might have been an element of who's going to take what role now, but the idea of it being part of the struggle of the orders is probably actually not quite the headline that Livy and Dionysius, and potentially their sources, believed it was. Maybe not. We definitely got a crisis of some kind. Oh, definitely. And the fact that we're getting to a point where the elite patricians are coming to the table with a suggestion to share power, Mm. I think might suggest that there is something, there are rumblings coming from below, which can no longer be ignored. Absolutely. And... How that plays out, we will see. I I think that there is I think there is trouble in Rome at this point in time, and the patricians have accrued so much power by this point that they're kind of taking the lead in terms of how to fix it, how to address it. They're, they're trying to still hold on to their monopoly of power in this time of crisis, and I think that's where you get the rumblings from below. Because as is often pointed out in the scholarship, the plebeians generally act at this point of time in terms of protecting themselves and defending themselves. They don't often go on the aggressive. Like everything they've done, it might seem aggressive and that's how our sources want to play you know, want it to play out in terms of, you know, living Dionysius and the tribunes. Yeah, but they're reacting. They're reacting. Mm-hmm. It, it, they're always reacting. And so they're not setting out to challenge their leaders. But certainly if there is this time of crisis, I think it's understandable that there would be questions asked about who should be leading Rome you know, and, and who should have a say if there is this problem going on. So definitely I think the struggle of the orders is played up, but I can totally see that there would be an element of, well, who plays the what now <laughs> in this whole conversation that's happening? So it'll be, it'll be interesting to see what Rome looks like on the other side. Ooh. <laughs> and with that in mind, Dr. G, it's time to go to the partial pick. <laughs> Alrighty, so this is where we get to rank Rome according to its own values, Dr. G. Tell us how it works. Ooh, so we have 50 golden eagles up for grabs across five categories. Yes. We will give them a score in each of those categories out of 10, and together we will see how Rome has performed according to its own values. Alright, so the first category is military clout. Ooh, I don't think we've even levied an army properly yet. Not at all. (laughs) Which is interesting, actually, because, again, at this point in time, serving in the army would have been a real mark of distinction. So it is interesting that that's the thing that they choose. I mean, it is a good weapon to use, but, yeah, it's interesting. I think it depends on the nature of the conflict. If it's one that the Senate has maybe made up... (laughs) Yeah, exactly. I think... And I guess the trouble is, 
how do you know if the enemy is truly surrounding you? Yeah. Or whether somebody's telling you a whole pack of lies. And when you get out there, you're like, those guys, they're just herding sheep. (laughs) I don't know about that. All right, so no military clout. No. Expansion, I think also. That's a no. That's a no. They're, They're going to be fighting to defend their territory once again. Diplomacy. Ah. There is some internal diplomacy going on here. There does seem to... Yes. Yeah, so I mean, it's very manipulative. <laughs> Gaius Claudius's cunning plan. What? Ah, 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 ah. <laughs> I mean, in a way, it is diplomatic. He is now offering something well beyond anything that has ever been offered to the plebeians before. And also, in my account, the patricians have made concessions about the... Marriage. Oh yeah, they folded. They, One long speech. I don't know like, that I, I'm going home to yeah. marry that plebeian. <laughs> oh my god, the plebeians they just don't stop talking. Um, I don't know Fine, you, I'll marry you. I don't just know. Shush now. <laughs> I don't know if you can call that diplomacy though. <laughs> I, like they literally just gave in. So maybe, maybe a two. I think a two. Okay, so that's a two. Weirdos. Oh. I'm not really getting it. I mean, Look, I know there's a lot of rhetoric going on. But there's a lot of rhetoric going on, and I'd say that maybe. If we take the part of a very conservative patrician like Gaius Claudius, yeah. coming up with a grand and cunning plan mm. might be considered quite manly. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. It doesn't feel super manly. It feels quite underhanded. <laughs> I'm willing to give him a one and that's it. All right. All right. One. All right. So that's a three. Okay. Final score is the citizen score. Well, this actually is good. Well, things have been improved remarkably. Yeah. Uh, they're allowed to... Plebeians and, and patricians are now allowed to marry each other. And Which, apparently, I think they always were up until the <laughs> 2nd December <laughs> or something around that time, but sure. And then with this potential for a military tribunate with consular power... Mm. It's actually quite significant. That's and, a big step up. Yeah, and then we, we, we're leaving under the cliffhanger in terms of what Rome will look like and how this will play out, but definitely change has been achieved. Like, yeah. there's definitely been change achieved. So I, I'm almost willing to give it a 10, but wow. is that going too far? I mean, <laughs> there is still war on all fronts. Maybe <laughs> an 8 is safer. <laughs> Let's go with 9. Let's go for that safe middle okay. ground. <laughs> that means that we end up, Dr. G, on a grand total of 12 golden eagles. Woo! That's impressive because there was a lot of really objectionable material in that episode. That is double what they scored for the previous episodes. So it is. Well, you know what? That's I think, impressive. Do you know what I think the difference is? There was a lot of plebeian talk, not so much patrician chit chat. Aha! <laughs> uh-huh. Yeah, that's the key. All right, well, join us next time to see exactly how this potentially sharing of power goes on in Rome. Yeah, how's this going to work? Yeah, this, this a is a bold generally... new world for Rome. Yeah, this is generally seen as a big turning point for Rome, so this is exciting. Yeah, forget consuls. It's now military tribunes with consular power. <laughs> if you think it sounds like a mouthful, it's because it is. <laughs> Thank you so much for tuning in to another episode of The Partial Historians. I'm Dr. G here, and on behalf of Dr. Rad and myself, We'd like to send a huge shout out to some of our special patrons, Ensley, Ali, Jacob, Joel, and Ted, and some of our very new supporters, Steve, AJ, Donna, Jade, and Molly. Thank you so much for helping bring this podcast to life and adding to the vibrancy of our Patreon community.